Turn in your Bible to the book of Matthew. The book of Matthew. Do you remember what we were talking about last Sunday night? Anybody remember what was the theme of the last Sunday night's message was? I'm glad that I made such an impression on you. I have an excuse. Nobody. Yeah, but it was a title to it. There was a theme. It was a. Somebody has to get the. The donkey. Somebody has to get the donkey. But nobody wants to go and get the donkey. You realize a donkey is stubborn. They are so stubborn. And they had to go get the donkey. So we're going to finish up on why did he have to go get the donkey? Well, it's the fulfillment of an Old Testament prophecy that says that when Jesus comes into the city, they're going to recognize him because he's going to come meek and lowly and riding upon a donkey. And they're going to cut branches off the trees and put them into the way. And they're going to shout loud, Hosanna, King David, and so on. And blah, blah, blah. And everybody's going to be all excited. And the multitude cheers and goes wild. And so that's when he became the king and everything worked out smooth. Well, it was supposed to. But he needed that donkey, and somebody had to go get it. But he had to ride that donkey into the city. So he had need of it. And that's one of the scriptures that says, he hath need of it. So if he needs it, he needs it. But anyway, I want you to take your Bible, look in Matthew chapter 21. And you'll notice it says in verse 4, all this was done, all this was done, that it might be fulfilled which was spoken by the prophet, saying, Tell ye the daughters of Zion, Behold, thy king cometh unto thee, meek, and sitting upon an ass, and a colt, the fold of an ass. And the disciples went and did as Jesus commanded them, brought the ass and the colt, and put on them their clothes, and they set him thereon. And a very great multitude spread their garments in the way. Others cut down branches from the trees, strawed them in the way. And the multitude that went before and that followed cried, saying, Hosanna to the son of David. Blessed is he that cometh in the name of the Lord. Hosanna in the highest. And when he was coming to Jerusalem, all the city was moved, saying, Who is this? And the multitude says, This is Jesus, the prophet of Nazareth of Galilee. So there you have it. That's the rest of the story. That's where it all ended. No, it wasn't over yet. It was just beginning. Now, I want you to see three main divisions in this little story here of chapter 21. And it's amazing how it's broke out. And I just saw this recently, and I was reading and I says, hey, that's good. I lined up. And I read it again. Hey, that was good also. Hey, that's good. So it was interesting as you read it and you see something. And so what I want you to do is jump down there with me. We're going to kind of be scattershot tonight, you know, here and there and a little bit of everywhere. But you'll notice in verse 15, and when the chief priest, see that word? And the chief priest, remember that, important. Look in verse 23, when he was coming to the temple, the chief priest, see it again. Look in verse 45, and when the chief priest, there you have it again. So there's three times that these 
chief priest had something to do with the meaning of this chapter and why Jesus is going to say what he's going to say. Now, if you look there again in verse 15, the chief priest, and it says, and the scribes. Uh, these were your people that supposed to know the law. They're supposed to know the law. So the, sometimes you have people that are against each other. But sometimes they join together if they have a common denominator to hate. You know, it's just like we can have somebody that's an enemy of ours, but if they are an enemy of another enemy that's a worse enemy, then we can become friends with the enemy of the other enemy. Don't that make sense? We're doing that right now. But anyway, we won't get into that. Verse 15, And when the chief priests and the scribes saw the wonderful things that he did. So it's going to have to tell us something about what they saw, what they did, and why. It's the chief priests and the scribes, the lawyers. Then you look in verse 23, And when he was coming to the temple, the chief priests and the elders of the people. Now the chief priests are with the elders of the people. And so there's something's going to happen here. And, well, just a little story there. And then you look over there in verse 45. And when the chief priests and the Pharisees. See, there's three different groups. But the Sadducees is the common denominator that is within all three of these same groups. So there must be a reason. You see, the Sadducees were Sadducees. And these were the chief priests and uh, many of them. And then you had... Uh, they, see, they didn't believe in miraculous things. They, they didn't believe in miracles. They didn't believe in the resurrection. And the Sadducees really didn't get along too well with the Pharisees. The Pharisees were the law keepers, you know, strict, obey the law to the T. And they were very proud, very proud of their humility. So they didn't always get along. But now they have a common denominator to hate. It just happens to be Jesus. So there's Jesus in all three of these little stories and uh, something to look at that I think can help. But remember now, this is the big moment, the big day when Jesus goes into the city and he's declared, this is the king. He's coming. It's the fulfillment of the Old Testament prophecy. Now, he hasn't been crucified yet. He's on his way. But you'll notice when he says here in verse 12, Jesus went into the temple. Now, in every one of these little stories, there's something about the temple. Because that's where Jesus goes to. And when he came to the temple and cast out all them that sold and bought in the temple, overthrew the tables of the money changers and the seats of them that sold doves. So remember, he had made the statement. He says, uh, the zeal of the Lord hath eaten me up from the book of John chapter 2. When he also did the same thing, and that was at the beginning of his ministry. Now at the end of it, he's still burning. It's still the zeal of the Lord has eaten me up. And he makes this statement. He says, he says, this is my father's house. It's a house of prayer, and you have turned it into, what did he turn it into? A den of thieves. Thieves! And he was upset. So he got a little angry, and he did something about it. So he says in verse 13, he said to them, It is written, My house shall be called the house of prayer, but ye have made it a den of thieves. And the blind and the lame came to him in the temple, and he healed them. But there was somebody that was there, and they were watching. And when the chief priests and the scribes saw the wonderful things that he did, they were filled with amazement and bowed down and worshipped him. Uh, that's what they should have done, right? That they didn't do that. And the children 
crying in the temple and saying, Hosanna to the son of David. That, they, they were sore displeased. They were not happy about it. Now listen, there's people that are blind and they can be able to see. Lame, been able to walk, and they're very displeased. It's like, you know, some of these um, politicians that are a little upset because, you know, Donald Trump has stole all the, they call it the oxygen out of the room, getting all the attention. Well, there's some people that are just plain jealous. They just can't stand it. And taking away their power. So um, they weren't very happy about the situation. And that's why Jesus said this. And Jesus said in verse 16, Hearest thou what these say? And Jesus said unto them, Yea, have ye not read out of the mouth of babes and sucklings thou hast perfected praise? And he left them and went out of the city into Bethany, and he lodged there. So he left the temple, left Jerusalem, went back toward the Mount of Olives and up toward Bethany, and he lodged there. Now the next morning they got up. They all went to the village inn, got him a big old, you know, thing of pancakes and some eggs and sausage. Got him a big old full meal because it was going to be a long day. And they headed back into Jerusalem. Except there was no village inn there and no Waffle House. Wouldn't it have been neat? You know, if you was God and you knew the future and you know what could... Man, I just snapped my thing and just let one be there. Just for the moment. Just so you can, you know. You know what I did the other day? Yeah, it was yesterday. So far ago, I can hardly remember when it was. But I sat down at this little restaurant. I had to go get my eye checked. You know, I'm sitting there. And uh, this little girl was sitting there beside me. And I looked over at the table. She looked up being a little thing. She gave me a big old smile. Little oriental girl. She got just a smile on her face and talkative and just smiled at me. And I looked on her plate and she had this pancake. Now Betty doesn't usually let me eat pancakes. But I looked at that pancake. I could taste it. Oh, I was ready to take it off that kid's plate. <laughs> I didn't know a pancake could smell so good. I haven't had one in so long. But I looked at that pancake and I said, honey, I could eat the other half of that pancake. So she said, well, just get what you want. I'm going to get what I want. I said, okay. That lady came. I said, I want a pancake. <laughs> I did. I ate that pancake. And that little girl, I said, I'm going to get a pancake like you got. Well, she was so, so thrilled that she influenced my, my judgment. And, um, you know, sometimes the little kids... They're colorblind. They don't, they don't worry about who's black and white and pink and green and chartreuse and pinstripe and polka dot and all that. They don't worry about all that stuff. They just get along and play and, you know, forget all about it. And, um, but out of the mouth of babes. And it says they were singing praise the Lord and Hosanna and so forth. Hey, the Lord's there. But now the kids could see it. But these big shots, these know-it-alls, these prideful individuals, you know, the leaders, they couldn't see what was happening right in front of them. They really didn't know who he was. As the Bible said in one place, they wished not who it was. So anyway, in uh, verse 18, in the morning, as he returned to the city, he was hungry. That's why I was talking about he ought to just stop and got something to eat. Don't they eat breakfast, you know, before you leave? Well, I've been in Israel six times when we got up out of bed, you know, in our five-star hotels, and we all went down to breakfast. They had five different kinds of fish that you could eat for breakfast. Have you ever eat fish for breakfast? Over there, that fish is so good, I could just eat and eat and eat. Oh, it tastes so good. 
five different kinds of fish, and you could just eat all you wanted to. And then, of course, we had all kinds of stuff and table after table. I thought, isn't this what Jesus had when he was here? I don't think so. He didn't have that. He didn't have a buffet every time he stopped to eat someplace. But now notice, in verse 19, when he saw a fig tree, he came to it and he found nothing thereon, but leaves only, and said unto it, Let no fruit grow on it, henceforth forever. And presently the fig tree withered away. Now, the purpose of a fig tree is to produce something. Leaves? What's the purpose of a fig tree? To have figs. You want figs on the tree. I've got a fig tree in my yard. I planted it with my own little hands. And it would be real big in producing fruit today if I hadn't accidentally with my lawnmower ran over it about three or four or five times. I forget all about it and I'm just a singing and just running. And the next thing you know, I didn't, I didn't, I'd run over my fig tree. It was just starting to crumb up. But anyway, win some, lose some. But the Bible does say in the kingdom we'll all have our own little fig tree to send under. I want mine. But anyway, here's a fig tree. And many people think that, uh, you know, the fig tree is kind of like a, a picture of the nation of Israel. He has presented himself as the king to the nation of Israel. And the leaders, the leaders, the Pharisees, and the elders, and the Sadducees, all of them, they rejected him. And says, the fig tree, there's no fruit on it. Remember, it also made the statement that there is going to be a, a cutting down of every tree that bringeth not forth fruits of righteousness. Well, that's every individual in the world because we've all sinned, and so therefore everybody dies. So he was looking for this fruit of righteousness on this tree. Israel, as a nation, should have accepted their Messiah. He had it fulfilled from a scripture how they could clearly know if they did believe their scriptures, he'll come riding into the city on a donkey, and this is what they're going to say. And it happened, and they saw it. But they couldn't put it together. Something's missing upstairs. And so they were a little upset. So now he's talking about a fig tree, and so that fig tree withered immediately. It withered. Now, I also believe that as a Christian, we're not just to have nice foliage on our tree. You know, some people are just so concerned about, we got to have good character, which we ought to have good character. But the, the purpose of that tree, and you and I are a tree of life, is to have some fruit. People that trust Christ as Savior from our tree. We're a tree. And we're not just to be here so we can have pretty foliage on the no, he says, there's no fruit on it. Let it wither. And I believe this is what causes a lot of Christians to wither in their Christian life because they have no fruit in their life. And that will make you one big sourpuss. I mean, you are going to shrivel up, and you're not going to have the peace, the love, the joy, the happiness, the excitement about your life because you don't have fruit. You've got to have some fruit. But anyways, we're moving right along. In verse 21, he makes this statement. This is a powerful verse, by the way. They were already there, and they could see the Mount of Olives, because that's where Bethany was, and here's Jerusalem, and there's a little Kidron Valley that runs through there. And so they, um, he, he says this in verse 21, Jesus answered, said unto them, Verily I say unto you, if you have faith, 
And doubt not, ye shall not only do this which is done to the fig tree, but also if ye shall say unto this mountain, Be thou removed, and be thou cast into the sea, it shall be done. You ever want to try that? He says, all you got to do is believe. But you have to believe that whatever it is you want to do is the will of God. True? And you must love the Lord, and it has to be for God's purpose. And uh, if you do all things according to His will and pray according to His will. Uh, so if you know positively that it is God's will for that mountain to be moved, uh, then you can pray and ask for it, and it's going to happen. But, of course, you've got a problem. You've got to figure out a few things in advance. But remember this. When he said this about this mountain, he was telling the truth. Because remember in Zechariah chapter 14, when he comes back again and his feet touch upon the Mount of Olives, what's going to happen to that mountain? It's going to split. And the water from the Mediterranean Sea is going to go all the way down through there and right into the Dead Sea. The Dead Sea is way low, Mediterranean here. And there's going to be a river, and there's going to be water, and there's going to be life, and the people are going to pitch their tents around it and go fishing. I've been to the Dead Sea. I've swam in the Dead Sea. Nothing lives in the Dead Sea. I even tried to, to go under, and I couldn't even go under the water. I could have drowned if I'd have turned myself upside down and put my face down first, but I wasn't going to do that. First time I went in there was with Hank Lindstrom, and... Um, I don't even know if we ever got any pictures of us, me and Hank out there. No one. We got some? Anyway. Uh, I got some pictures of when we went. When the Polsons was with us, and uh, if I get out there, you know, shake off the dust off of them and try to... It's a, a, a video. It's on the video. Maybe we'll show them one of these days. Uh, he even looks younger, too. Yeah. I look a lot younger. Yeah. But now, in verse 22, And all things whatsoever... Ye shall ask in prayer. Believing, ye shall receive. Now, he also makes a statement in the book of Revelation in chapter 6. He says, at the end of the tribulation period, the stars are going to fall, and the heavens are going to shake, and the mountains and are all going to move. The whole earth is going to shake and move. So if you can ask him to shake any mountain and move any mountain, you know that your prayers are going to be answered because... He didn't say when, but it's going to take place. Now, in verse 23, when he was coming to the temple, well, that's where he was, that before, the day before, now he's doing it again, the chief priests and the elders of the people came unto him as he was teaching. So God is showing that he came, legitimate offer, and you had the lawyers, and you had the Pharisees, you had the Sadducees, you had the elders of the people, every one of them, had their moment with the son. And they all rejected him. So I believe there's more here than just, you know, just read a nice little story and you go through the book of Matthew. But it says here, they came to him and they asked him a question. Who gave you the right to do what you're doing? Who gave you this authority? It wasn't them. And if they didn't give it to you, where did you get it from? That's a good question, isn't it? So they're asking Jesus, where did you get the right to do all this and speak with such power and so forth? Who do you think you are? So Jesus said to them, he says, I got a question for you. If you answer my question, I'll answer your question. That sounds good. I asked a Jew one time, how come every time you ask a Jew a question, you always have to ask another question? He says, why not? 
So in verse 24, Jesus answered and said to them, I also will ask one thing, which if you tell me I and likewise will tell you what authority I do these things. The baptism of John, whence was it? Heaven or man? So now they reason among themselves, saying, If we shall say from heaven, he will say unto us, Why did you not then believe him? But if we shall say of men, we fear the people, for all hold John as a prophet. So the bunch of scaredy cats, they didn't want to go out on a limb. So they said, we can't tell. See in verse 27, they said, we can't tell. We, we don't know. So Jesus says, I ain't going to tell you either. He says, neither tell I you by what authority I do these things. That sounds like fair game. So, but this is written because, see, there's these groups of people. And Jesus is confronting each and every one of them in the legitimate place as a nation of Israel. He came in like he was supposed to, as prophesied. So then he says there in verse 28, this little parable is a response to these Pharisees, these chief priests and the you know, these, these elders and these lawyers, the scribes, he's explaining it to them. So he uses an illustration. He says, but what think you? He's still talking to them. Certain men had two sons. Came to the first. Said, son, go work today in my vineyard. He answered and says, I will not. But afterwards he repented and, and he went. And he came to the second and said, likewise. And he answered and says, I go, sir. But he went not. Which of the two did the will of his father? They said unto him, the first. Jesus said unto them, Verily I say unto you, that the publicans and the harlots. Now, that's not among these groups, you know, of the, the elders, the leaders. And they're not the Pharisees, and they're not the Sadducees. These are tax collectors and harlots. But look at the comparison. He said, I came to you, and you would not believe it. John the Baptist came, and you would not believe him. So he says here, in verse 31, Verily I say to you that the publicans and the harlots go into the kingdom of God before you. For John came unto you in the way of righteousness. You believed him not. But the publicans and the harlots believed him. And ye, when you had seen it, repented not afterwards that you might believe him. So you can see that you have to repent in order to believe. Change their mind. But they could have believed. See that? That ye might believe him. You are the one that determines whether or not you believe or you don't believe. He puts it right back into their face. And says, this is what you have done. The harlots, the tax collectors, they saw it. They believed it. Look at you. Now, whether or not they got the picture or not that he was talking about them, they really get it later. So he doesn't let up. He said, let me tell you another little story. Because a parable is a story. When you're speaking to a mixed multitude and you want those who want to really want to get it, they can understand the truth. Those that really don't want to know truth, they can't hear it or get the meat of it. All they heard is a story. So it's a way of teaching truth in a mixed multitude where some get it and some don't. But look in verse 33. Here another parable. There was a certain householder which planted a vineyard, hedged it round about, digged a wine press in it, built a tower, and let it out to a husbandman, and went into a far country. He had some land, he built him a wine press, 
leased it out to somebody, and he went. Now, sooner or later, you know, he, he's going to want something for what, what, what he owns. It, it's his. So in verse 34, when the time of the fruit drew near, he sent his servants to the husbandmen that they might receive the fruits of it. In other words, we have a right to it. It's ours. You've been working for me. Now, I come time to get something from it. Just like when he came to the tree, there was to be something there, and it wasn't there. He came to the nation of Israel and looking for the fruits of righteousness, and there was none. He presented himself as the king, and they were to accept him as their king, and they refused to do so. They came up short. All of these little stories is actually one big story. These are just little subtopics and sub-stories in order to get the big picture. So he says here, in verse 35, And the husbandman took his servants, and he beat one, killed another, stoned another. Again, he sent other servants more than the first, and they did unto them likewise. And last of all, he sent unto them his son, saying, They will reverence my son. Now, do you see any? Maybe a possibility that he could have talked about Old Testament saints and how he sent the prophets and how that they were killed and rejected. And last of all, he sent his son. Do you think they're going to figure this out yet? Well, they are a hard-headed bunch. But you and I, we can read that story and we can pick it up just like that. We can say that, hey, we know what he's talking about. I, I know what he's referring to. I know he's hitting them right between the eyes. So in verse 38, and when the husbandmen saw the son, they said among themselves, this is the heir. Come, let us kill him and let us seize on his inheritance. So the man sent his son and they killed him. You think he's referring to anything? Look at verse 39. They caught him, cast him out of the vineyard. Remember, Jesus was taken outside the walls of the city of Jerusalem. You'll also see that in the book of uh, Hebrews, 13th chapter, where he was taken outside of the city. This is what he's talking about. Out of the vineyard and slew him. When the Lord therefore of the vineyard cometh, what will he do unto those husbandmen? Now he's given them an illustration. So can you figure this out? So he says, this man owned a piece of property. He built him a vineyard. And he has a wine press there, and he's got some people that work for him. And he went into a far country. And afterwards, when it was time for to get the fruit, uh, he sent his servants, and they killed him. He did it again, same thing. But last of all, he sent his son, and they killed him. What do you think that the head man is going to do to those servants? 